we will be in the Gospel of John. We will be in John chapter 20 this evening. And you can follow along. There are Bibles in front of you, or you can follow the words on the screen. John chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. So in this last year that we have been a church plant, uh, what has been the biggest way God has grown your faith? There's been a number of ways, and there's been a number of things, but just as I look back and as I reflect uh, the journey that we've been on so far, there's been a couple of what I would say just really big mark the moments. There's been a couple of really big ways that uh, God has grown my faith. Uh, I could talk about how not knowing if I actually wanted to go into church planning or not, but how uh, events came to rise, and I was encouraged, and I was challenged, and in some ways, I was, pu- I was pushed to go plant a church. And then thinking about that, was thinking about, okay, well, what kind of team would we need to be able to plant? And if we planted in Westerville, what would that look like? And, and then God slowly but surely, sure enough, gathered all of us, and we're all here. And then I can remember going back all the way to 2014 during the assessment center when they said, hey, when you go to plant a church, typically this is more or less standard, but you need to raise about $300,000. It's a lot of money, and it's not an easy thing, yet God has provided for us financially. About a month and a half before we were actually going to launch, about a month and a half before we uh, were going to begin public worship, 
Uh, we didn't necessarily, we were running into what kind of a space would we be able to meet in. And then God provided this space with our friends here at Cornerstone. And then this is more of a recent thing, but you've heard us announce every single week. Um, what would it look like? Is God moving? Does God want us to potentially have a morning service? And one of the things that I always knew, knowing um, who God has gathered and knowing our team and knowing the people that we have, that there was no way we were going to do this without both Tom and Adrian. Um, and then from the stories, you know, that I've heard, uh, it almost seems like truly an act of God. Uh, there no, is going to be no more second shift at Honda, and Tom and Adrian were moved to morning shifts. And as they are both part of our family, our church family, it just became that much easier. God has provided so many different ways. God has provided so many different things for us, and I could be the first to say He's grown my faith. He's grown my faith in believing that He will provide. And so right now, as I'm actually getting ready to go on a, a two-week vacation, I would say I'm in a place of, of high faith. I'm in a place where, where I really am trusting God and, and trusting Him with the next steps of Story Presbyterian Church. But through each and every single one of these steps that I just named where God provided, uh, I could go through each of them and I could tell you how I wasn't always in a place of high faith. I could go through each and every one of them, and I could describe to you how I experienced a real lack of faith uh, at different times when we were preparing, when we were trying to plan, um, when we didn't know if we were going to have a building and what was this going to be. I struggled. I struggled with having faith in the Lord. And I would guess every single one of us here, at different times and in different ways, we've struggled with this. We've struggled with trusting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord to provide, trusting in the Lord to forgive us, trusting in the Lord to carry on His mission and accomplish the work that, that He has called us to do here at Story Presbyterian Church. And it's not just us, but frankly, when we look at the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we can see that God's people have struggled in trusting the Lord. God's people struggle in having faith in the Lord. Yet here's the thing that I believe we learn from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I believe we learn this. The resurrected Jesus will grow his followers' faith. The resurrected Jesus will grow his followers' faith. And what we must do to cooperate with Jesus' work in our own lives is this. We must be restored, we must remember, and we must reflect. We must be restored, we must remember, and we must reflect. We're going to look at those three points in turn. This first point, we must be restored. I believe this is the lesson that we learn when we look at the faith of Simon Peter. The rock on which Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, when we look at all the gospel accounts, forget even just the gospel accounts, when we read all of the New Testament, uh, we, we see this man, we see Simon Peter, and um, he is full of passion 
and he is full of personality. Uh, in fact, I would go so far as to say Peter is bold as brass. Uh, when we read the things that he has done, uh, he was the first to walk on water in faith because he wanted to go and trust Jesus. Uh, Peter was the one who more than any of the other disciples boldly claimed, there is no way I will leave you. I will follow you. Uh, in John chapter 21, uh, when the resurrected Jesus will appear again to his disciples, Peter doesn't help them all get the boat to shore so they can all celebrate together. Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims right away. Peter's the first to pull a sword when Jesus is threatened, and Peter even has the gumption at one point to rebuke Jesus himself. Peter is full of passion. In some ways, we could say Peter is full of faith. But what is Peter lacking? What do we see that he lacks time and time again? Well, I believe at least here in chapter 20, the thing that we see Peter lacks in the, in the way that we need to see Peter restored is he lacks this personal relationship with Jesus. He's all passion, but because he is missing this personal dynamic, uh, he needs to be restored to Jesus. And we see that play out in the next two chapters. So, uh, at this point in the story, Jesus has been crucified. Uh, the, the disciples, as we know later on, they are discouraged. They're potentially in hiding because now they're in fear for their own lives. And then they get word from Mary Magdalene that, hey, the tomb is empty. Where we just buried our Lord, uh, it, it's empty. What should we do? And so we see that both Peter and John, uh, they make the move right away and they start heading to the tomb. Now, uh, when we look at scholarship, and when we look at, you know, what people are doing when they've investigated uh, different archaeological evidence and whatnot, there's some debate, and it's not a lot, but there's some debate on who actually is uh, the author of the Gospel of John. Now, there's all kinds of different theories that have, that have been put forth. Uh, one theory is even, you know, perhaps a lady wrote the Gospel of John. But do you know how I know without a shadow of a doubt that a man wrote the Gospel of John? Verse 4. He goes out of his way to say that he beat his friend in a foot race, and only a man is going to be that concerned with, you know, having that detail, you know, I beat him, the beloved disciple, I, I beat him. And so we're told that uh, John and Peter, they head to the tomb, and John outruns Peter. Legitimately, though, it's probably mentioned in there to have like an eyewitness detail. Hey, this actually happened. I remember I beat my friend in a race. And then uh, not to be outdone by his friend who beat him in the race, John gets there, but John's a little, you know, do I go into an empty tomb? This is where some, you know, my friend is buried. Peter makes sure that he was the very first one into the tomb. And Peter goes in and notices that there is uh, nobody, nobody there in the tomb. You see, we learn a lot of stuff about Peter. Uh, we learn, we see a lot of stuff uh, about Peter's potential lack of faith here. <clears throat> we see a little bit about Peter's lack of, of faith here. Um, 
one of the things that I think that ultimately we learn, what does Peter need? This doesn't actually happen until chapter 21, but in chapter 21, Peter will, will come to be restored, and you're going to hear more on that in just two weeks' time, uh, in just a little bit here. Um, but in chapter 21, Jesus will appear to Peter, and he will restore him. You see, in my own faith, in my own journey of following Jesus, I got to say there's been a number of times where I've been restored to Jesus. Yeah, I could talk about my own faith journey and my own faith growing, and one of the first times certainly was I repented of my sin, and certainly was when I confessed that Jesus was Lord, but there were multiple other times that I needed to be restored in my faith. There were multiple other times where I needed Jesus to move in my life. And so I could tell you there were significant moments in my faith journey where I could look back on. And for me, it was times in community. It was times where a friend spoke to me and said, hey, listen, I don't think any less of you because you have the struggle. It were times in my faith journey where I learned something new about the Lord that I didn't know before. It was times in my faith journey where Jesus continued to speak to me, where Jesus continued to encourage me, and where Jesus continued to grow me in my faith. So too, for all of us, depending where we're at in our faith, we need Jesus to restore us. In our own denomination, and I can speak for myself personally here, uh, I think I can relate to potentially Peter more than I can relate to all of the other disciples. Again, Peter, full of passion, but Peter who still needs to personally experience the love and the forgiveness that Jesus has for us. One of the things that we see in Peter's restoration is in many ways, it is our failures. For Peter specifically, it's his failures that qualifies him for ministry. Because Peter, the rock that Jesus will build his church on, there is no way that he can know the love of God, and there's no way that he could share that love of God with others until he experienced for himself personally until he was restored to the Lord. And I think that many of us can relate. Maybe we have, we have passion about Jesus. Maybe we care about theology, and we want to be one of the first people to debate and make sure we have the right and the correct theology. Uh, is that not what we do as Presbyterians, right? But we must be restored. We must personally experience the love and the forgiveness that Jesus has for us. That's what had to happen to Peter, and that's what will happen to Peter in John chapter 21, but you'll hear a whole sermon on that. The resurrected Jesus will grow his followers' faith. For Peter to grow in faith, for Peter to become the man that he needed to become to help lead Christ's church and get this thing started and, and, and see faith grow and move throughout the world, Peter needed to be restored to Jesus. And again, Jesus will do that. Jesus restores Peter's faith, and so too will he help us. We learn from Peter that we must be restored, and we learn from Mary Magdalene uh, that we must remember. We must remember the work of God and the mission that God himself uh, 
was sent out to fulfill and that he has called us to partner with him. So there's a lot of things that are really commendable uh, when we look at Mary Magdalene and we look at the interaction that she has with Jesus here. I think with Mary Magdalene, we see an a intimate connection with Jesus. She really, really loves him. She really, really desires him. Yet, and Abby and I talked about it this week, uh, was she rebuked? Is that too strong of a word? Was she encouraged? That's probably a better way to describe it. She was encouraged to keep the big picture in her mind. You see, Mary had to learn that Jesus wasn't only her personal Messiah, but he was the Messiah of the whole world, and his mission was bigger than only her redemption. Uh, he He was concerned with the redemption of all things. So first, I want to commend something with Mary. Uh, Pastor Mike preached a couple months ago now, but on John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, uh, when Jesus gives us the illustration, one of the things that he tells us is that his sheep will know my voice. Now, when we look at the different gospel accounts, um, it's somewhat of a mystery, but people multiple times don't recognize Jesus. Personally, I think because they are so persuaded that he's dead that if they see him, their first thought is likely, you know, somebody resembles him, but it can't be Jesus. And then even Mary, Mary who, who was redeemed by Jesus, was restored by Jesus, Mary who uh, had seven demons literally taken out of her by Jesus, Mary doesn't recognize him at first. Mary needs Jesus to speak. And in in verse 16, that's exactly what it is. Jesus calls Mary by name. Literally, one word, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she knew her master's voice. Immediately, she begins to be excited. Uh, Immediately, she begins to go to the feet of Jesus. She bows down, and she is, this is everything that she could ever hope for. This is everything she could ever desire. My master is not dead. My master has returned, and I want him, and I long for him, and I finally have that for all the things that are commendable about Mary. In fact, I think I would rather have us look a little bit more like Mary than like Peter. But for all the things that are commendable about Mary, again, she is missing the big picture for her own response, for her own reaction to Jesus. D.A. Carson, who is arguably one of the, the leading theologians of the New Testament, he he goes and he gives a paraphrase of verse 17. Because again, the question is, is Jesus rebuking Mary? That might be too strong of a word. But here's how he goes on to describe what Jesus is essentially getting at here in verse 17. Mary, stop touching me, for I've not yet ascended. So you do not need to hang on to me as if I were about to disappear permanently. This is a time for joy and sharing the good news not for clutching me as if I were some jealously guarded private dream come true. Stop clinging to me, but go and tell my disciples that I am in the process of ascending to my Father and your Father. Again, what Mary needs to be reminded of is the mission of God. It's bigger than just her alone. And so, too, for us, the mission of God 
It's bigger than any of us, just you and I. Of course, are we to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Yes, absolutely. But one of the ways that Mary had to grow in her faith was literally to be on mission, but go and tell my disciples the good news that I have resurrected from the dead. And so, too, does Jesus call us, and one of the ways that we are challenged to grow in our faith is that we would partner with Jesus in His mission. Just as Mary needed to go and to proclaim the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so, too, are we called to do this very same thing. Why? Because the resurrection changes things. Another pastor that that I think most of us like here, Tim Keller, he says this, Uh, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then we don't need to care about a single word that he said. But if he did raise from the dead, we should care about everything that he said. Mary is encouraged to grow in her faith, again, by going and partnering and being on the mission. Hey, it's not just for you that I am Lord and Master, but it's for all of those who I just died for. Mary must remember. She must remember what Jesus came to do and that is redeem all that was lost at the fall. So, too, we must be reminded, if Peter's one type of Christian, if Peter's the type of Christian that is all passion and all intellect and all zeal, Mary's almost the the other way. Mary's the one who is emotionally connected to Jesus. She loves him. She, She is ready to give her life to him. Notice it was the men that abandoned Jesus, but Mary never did. She was always by his side. Yet she still needs to learn and she still needs to grow in her own faith by sharing this good news, this gospel message with others. So too, yes, may we be personally connected with Jesus, of course, but may we also be willing to share the good news of the resurrected King with others. Finally, we are called to reflect. Peter, he needed to be restored. Mary needed to remember the mission of God. The final thing that we see is through the Apostle John, and that's that we are called to reflect. Now, in many ways, Uh, John, in some ways, shows us exactly what it means for us today to be a disciple of Jesus, or that is to be a growing disciple of Jesus. He's timid at first, even though he beats Peter in the first race. uh, He doesn't go in, but eventually he does. And then verse 8 tells us this, then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. So, let me keep reading. Verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. So again, when we look at, we learn a little bit about both of the disciples, both Peter and John, when we look at all of their lives, when we look at all of their actions throughout the Gospels, and then frankly, even beyond the Gospels. One of the things that we learn and we see with John uh, is he is really uh, intellectual. John is really intelligent, and throughout his entire gospel, he's putting in these little hints. Uh, Oftentimes throughout the gospel of John, people speak better than they know. They speak a little bit more than what they know, like Caiaphas, who does not believe in Jesus, saying uh, that, that Jesus will die for the sins of his people. 
And we could go on. There are multiple other points in this. But John tells us, at least in two different places, that he writes his entire gospel. The whole purpose, the whole shebang, was so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I think right here in verse 8, it's recorded for us when that moment happened for John. He walked in and he saw that there was no body, and we're told that he saw and believed. Yet, John himself still has more growing to do. He must grow in faith because verse 9, the very next verse, tells us this, that he doesn't yet have the whole story. Uh, They did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. So he believed that Jesus is Lord, he believed that Jesus is the Messiah, but he still had learning to do. I think it was at this moment that John began reflecting, began reflecting on everything Jesus had ever taught, and it was this moment that changed things for John. And that's, too, what we are called to do. We are called to reflect on what Jesus has taught us, and we are called to be obedient and live our lives for Jesus. When I was in college, and my friends and I would be sitting around and we'd be talking about our faith and, and how we wanted to grow in our faith, Amy actually gave a really good illustration, uh, an illustration that stuck with me. She said, you know, I really think of my faith kind of like being in a canoe and having to paddle upstream. It is a lot of work, you know, and, I, and I'm moving forward. And it's one of those things that you just got to keep moving. You don't need to go fast. You don't need to go very hard. You just have to keep moving. And if you stop moving, you go back a little bit. And I really, really liked that idea um, when Amy said that in college. And I thought that was really fitting. But I would change it just a little bit. I do think that our faith actually is like paddling upstream in a canoe. And if you slow down, it gets a little bit hard. But here's the thing that I would change a little bit about what Amy said. I think our faith journey, growing in our faith, it is like being in a canoe going upstream, but Jesus is in the boat with us. And he's always paddling along with us. And when we get tired and when we get exhausted and when we think we can't do it anymore, well, he doesn't ever slow down. And he's going to make sure that we continue to paddle. That's ultimately what happens here with John. John will go on to learn that each and every single verse in Scripture, beginning in Genesis and ending in the the other book that he will write, the the book of Revelation, 100% of it, it is about Jesus. He was on a mission, a mission to satisfy the wrath of God on the cross, which he did. And then he was on a mission to bring all things into subjection under his feet, which he did by rising from the dead. And we are the beneficiaries of John's life of reflection. We're the beneficiaries of John's life of learning, of John's obedience. Because even today, 2,000 years later in Westerville, Ohio, we're still learning from John's reflection by reading from his gospel and by being pointed back to Jesus. So no matter where we're at on our faith journey, may we look to Jesus to be restored and forgiven and know the love that God has for us. May we look to Jesus to be encouraged and to remember the mission that he had and that he has called us to partner onto. And may we continue to reflect, reflect on God's goodness, reflect on God's provision, reflect on God's word, and follow him in obedience. Let's pray now.